0: We will get started. So thank you everyone for joining in this, uh, this discussion uh, about uh, integrating strength and conditioning into podiatric practice or podiatry. This is uh, a topic uh, that uh, I'm, I'm quite passionate about just simply because I think it answers a lot of uh, questions and fills a lot of gaps uh, that we're finding uh, in rehabilitation, both in the research and clinical practice. And uh, I know the uh, three other people joining me here today uh, f- feel similarly, or if they don't, we'll, uh, we'll find out uh, very, very soon. Uh, so for those who don't know me, I'm Alex Murray. Uh, I'm a podiatrist. I'm a strength and conditioning coach based here in Canberra, one of the directors of uh, podiatry systems, uh, and I do uh, a bunch of other educational work as well, but I think the, uh, the people that uh, you start uh, from the people joining me here today. So uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll get them uh, all to introduce themselves. Uh, I'll start uh, start with you, Angus. Hey,
1: guys. I'm a podiatrist, so I've been a podiatrist for about a year now. Um, I've also been a strength and conditioning coach for a little bit longer than that. Um, I primarily work as a strength coach generally, so I work mostly with powerlifters and strength athletes. Um, I have an online online coaching business that is strength and conditioning as a whole um and yeah i currently work out of Randwick, just out of a rehab and sports focus clinic um and yeah passionate about both fields so i like to like the idea of actually
0: combining them together brilliant taylor what what's uh, what's your story
2: Um, Yeah. So um, I graduated last year um, and I'm currently working as a podiatrist for the last kind of 10 months. Um, And I've been learning lots. Um, And I've also kind of decided in the last um, five months to start my um, strength and conditioning accreditation. Um, I came from, you know, quite a sporty background. I did a lot of different things as a kid um, and I was a dancer and I found that kind of my issues in trying to stay healthy while I was dancing really influenced my reason for getting into podiatry and that kind of interest. Um, so um, I'm learning podiatry and I'm learning strength and conditioning. Um, so it's, an, it's a good time to be alive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Perfect. And Pat, uh, or, or should I say, uh, really needs no
3: introduction in a way. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I've been a podiatrist for about, Eight years. Um, I've worked in various sports as a rehab coach, SC, um, mostly private practice as a podiatrist. So, I'm trying to pretty much find my way for the last few years to integrate uh, SNC rehab, and podiatry all into the one kind of job. So, it's something I get to do day in, day out, which is fantastic. So, uh, hopefully, I can share some insights.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. So, we've got a really um, sort of a good range of people all podiatrists but kind of why why i thought it was good to get all of you guys on for chat is that it's really got a a a range of experiences pat obviously got some quite sort of high performance uh sport background with uh brumby's raiders uh with um working in afl as well um angus has obviously got the more of a the weightlifting powerlifting sort of uh background more performance and and taylor's uh got more a lot of personal experience as well as trying to sort of the first steps in in profession so i'm i'm interested to to hear all of your guys um thoughts uh, especially because it's we're all on our own sort of journey of figuring out how it all works in podiatry because there's not always uh it's not always completely clear cut um and we're all sort of yeah finding our way but i guess the first thing we should talk about or sort of clear up in a way is what is strength and conditioning because it's, it's both a concept um, and some, it has principles but it's also a profession. Um, so I'll get, Pat, what, what are your thoughts?
3: Um, I think SNC and c as a concept is, is quite similar to as a profession. Um, probably the people who do SNC the best are uh, s and coaches. But as a as a concept, um, it's something that you could probably bring back into your uh, your area as a as a podiatrist. So from the various um, principles such as you know overload, specificity, variety, individualization, all those sort of factors, you can actually bring that into like a, a clinical context and really enhance the way that you kind of do a rehab plan for the patient. So. Um, it's something I think that can really benefit a podiatrist who's really interested in uh, musculoskeletal practice.
0: Yeah, because it's, it's really, there's all those principles of how to get someone stronger and more conditioned and ready for an activity, which mm. is exactly kind of what, what rehab is. It's getting someone reconditioned. The difference is, is they're not, there, that uh, between traditional S and C as a profession is really, that you're generally dealing with athletes and you're trying to get them stronger and they're not injured versus That's right. um, you're now dealing with people that are, that are injured. That's
3: right. And, and I think I, I think it's also important to, to note that um, although SNC as a context is, is, is quite broad and varied, to actually hone it in, into a podiatry context, it should always be based around, I guess, a patient's goals. And and what you're trying to get out of it, so more complementary as opposed to a replacement of what you're actually doing. Hmm.
0: Well, I guess that's that's kind of the confusing thing, is because if we've we've gone out and become strength and conditioning coaches, we're all got a, a another qualification. But I guess that's right. For for most of us, uh, at least, it's it's part of enhancing what we what we do rather than doing something different. That's right. Did, did everyone else uh, agree, disagree, or I guess I'm 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 looking at you, Angus, is working more more as a strength coach. What what, what your thoughts and 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 uh, things are?
1: Yeah, I think it's quite as simple as that. It's just the concept of SNC, at least to me, is um just the idea of preparing someone for a particular goal. Um, and it's as simple as that. Like the way that I describe it is that a lot of the athletes that I work with, uh high-end strength competitors and their particular goal is you know a competition coming up or national champions or or something along that line but then you've also got your everyday patient in your paediatric clinic who their goal is they want to be able to do coastal walks or um, pick up the laundry off the floor so the idea of priming someone for a particular particular goal is my kind of idea of strengthening conditioning and how far or um, close you want to take that is kind of up to the individual but I think as a concept that pretty much describes it for me
0: well, i guess the if we go go a little bit more into the nitty, nitty gritty of s s and c and what like what what are those those principles for for people who don't know um what what are they and how do they do they relate to to clinical practice uh taylor
2: um yeah so i think um so progressive overload's one that's kind of really specifically we learn at uni and i think it's one of the most um kind of covered ones um, where it's that uh, idea of building up patient strength in a kind of gradual building up their capacity to do work in a gradual way. Um, so, you know, we learn to teach patients calf raises and, and that kind of thing to, to kind of carry them on. Um, but things that I found weren't so covered were things like your variety and your specificity, um, particularly specificity. I, I feel like we struggle with um particularly maybe if you hadn't had a background in sport or you didn't know much about sport it was kind of a big scary thing because how do you break down a sport you've never played um but I think that's where going through like the accreditation and 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 learning more of the concepts of strength and conditioning helps you understand that at the end of the day, everything comes down to movements. And if a patient it can explain to you when it hurts and what movements they have to do, um, then you can understand how to start um, that that journey with them. Um, and yeah, similar with reversibility and things like that, understanding that if a patient stops, they do decondition. Um it kind of makes you think about you know whether or makes you consider whether asking that patient to take a few weeks off is just the answer is it just as simple as kind of taking a few weeks weeks off and then getting back into things um so yeah
0: I think yeah there's a a couple of sort of like key differences already there between what we're sort of often taught and what we're how we actually practice like you, you sort of mentioned that it comes down to movement and I guess my my experience has always been, you know, when when having um, experience at a rugby club, you know, people will come in and they go, I'm injured, but I I can't, I can't have that. I can't take time off. I need to keep at the top of my game. So whether I take one week off or whether I take three months off because of this injury, we've got to stay on top. we have got to keep strong in every other respect because you can't, at the end of that three month journey, we've got to go back at a hundred percent. So there's that reversibility aspect. There's also the case of then just modifying movement. What hurts, what doesn't hurt how do we then modify it so someone can keep moving and that that's sort of a real that's a real shift for us
2: yeah absolutely And I think I I started strength and conditioning to complement my podiatry I kind of found that you know I I'd identified some gaps and working with some difficult people in dance um taught me that things probably weren't as simple as they once seemed when I started working with um athletic people um and kind of the interest in staying in the profession as a strength and conditioning coach is is where I kind of started thinking well like once I'm done you know athletically kind of rehabbing this this injury like can I continue working with them to get them back beyond what they once were and you know Mm -hmm. back past that initial point so it it kind of complements my work in podiatry but then also gave me scope to um, kind of widen a little bit, but there's definitely still within the means of podiatry.
0: Mm. So you get to someone comes. I mean, we've already talked about goals. Pa- patients come in with a goal. We know that they people don't come in just because of pain. They come in because they're what, what the pain means to them, um, what it stops them from doing. And so you know, very much it's sort of changing from that that focus of how do I get rid of pain to how do we help achieve that goal. And generally, pain comes along with it you know more often than than not thankfully um uh, you mentioned in individuality and i guess uh, angus you know were you working with um athletes a bit more and you know with your with your strength coaching business talk us through individuality
1: well i think it's arguably the most important thing and i think you talk about if we talk about concepts with strength coaching in general you know separate from i guess the rehab side of things it's you know everyone responds to a particular stimulus and that stimulus might be different to anyone else. And if you look at data, you know, the data will say, Oh yeah, everyone will the average person falls in into in, into this kind of range with the amount of load that they can handle and the amount of volume and that the amount of work. But the reality is, is that every single person is going to be different and you are not really going to know until you start playing around with them and it's kind of the same with podiatry as well. You, you bring someone in and you say, Oh yeah, let's do a car phrase and they can't even do you know, a single car phrase. And, um, yeah, I think individuality is kind of a concept in strength and conditioning that is arguably one of the more important ones that we should be able to take over to podiatry um, because it kind of defines um, what S&C is in regards to being able to help people and manage people's goals and all that kind of fun stuff. Because you know, without the individ- without the individuality, we can't really, um, I guess, attack their goals. We can't really focus in and and smash the goals out of the park, so to speak. So. Um, yeah, I think it's arguably the most important aspect.
0: So, yeah, so it's really I, I like the phrase meeting people where they are. You find where that person's at. You know, we don't sort of think about oh, you know, the research tells us it's three by ten calf raise works, but the research also doesn't see you know the eighty two year old lady, but also doesn't generally see the sixteen year old teenager um, who's bouncing off the walls, and you sort of got to adapt and figure out individually what how, where is that person you know progressing or regressing an exercise making it heavier lighter faster slower oh, there's there's a, there's a lot there and and like you said you know we we're, we're essentially providing a stimulus for people's bodies to adapt to and if we're providing too much stimulus or too little stimulus we're not going to get get where we need to go exactly exactly
1: but,
0: I think the, the other concept we, we sort of haven't uh, talked about yet and I know Pat's uh, pretty passionate about is, is uh, returning to performance um, you know rather than returning to play. Pat, do you want to walk us through what, what uh, the difference is?
3: Um, <clears throat> I guess in recent years clinical sports medicine has had an increase from like sports science and SNC to kind of and physios as well to kind of push for that return to performance context because you want to come back to your role, activity, uh, sport better than what you were before and actually perform and actually deliver, um, you know, some outcomes. So I, I think from what Angus said, individualization is the most important because you assess capacity and you do that at either the initial consult or uh, somewhere along that rehab timeline, you, you get the individual capacity measure. And then that that then you compare that capacity to what their goal is, and then the task that they're going to do, and then then you try and build them up to do that task. But then after they've hit that you know pain free stage, they're they're doing a little bit of that task, and they want to perform and actually hit some some targets. You know, like a five k runner or a marathon runner wanting to hit a specific kilometers per hour, whatever it is you want to do. Um, performance return to performance basically means you from the initial consult to the end of the rehab timeline, that, that's what performance means. They're returning to where they want to be, they're performing and they're achieving their goal. So that, that would be my kind of take on it.
0: It's it's sort of like it's not compromising. Like, you know, if mm. we think of return to play as becoming pain-free, returning to performance is really getting back to where they want to be and doing what they want to do. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that concept can really carry over for anyone you know it doesn't have right. to be performances in terms of an athlete I'm, I'm guessing you'd agree
3: yeah 100 percent. so build a gardener performance for him might be being able to mow the lawn once a week during summer and be able to garden and crouch on his feet move around lunge things like that that's like capacity that's that's his capacity that's his performance goal right if we're talking like a rugby league player you know you if you're a winger you're on an outside back you need to do you know Plenty of miles during a game, you want to be able to catch, you want to be able to sprint, you want to be able to run. That performance for them is actually achieving those, you know, athletic requirements. So everyone's got a performance goal. So it doesn't necessarily have to be an athlete, but taking the theme, the ethos, the spirit of return to performance and applying that to every patient that you have that comes through the door means you can actually apply all these principles. And the only thing that changes is the person that's sitting in front of you. Hmm.
0: So, so- Really overall, if we were to sort of take um, what was sort of discussed and, and sort of compare compare it to, to what we're sort of traditionally taught, really the, the principles are really just taking us away and stopping us from just focusing on the, the person and making them pain free. It's focusing on who they are where they're at, what their physical capacity is. So when we're talking about capacity measures, where it's, it's their athlete, is their ability to perform certain exercises, certain movements under load for a certain amount of repetitions. Um, and it's then figuring it, using the principles of how to get them stronger and faster and better um, at something to work towards a goal. It's not just pain-free, it's actually what they want to do. I guess is there any is there anything else that anyone would add?
2: I think as as a new grad, I think we we learn so much in uni about making things patient centred, and kind of learning a few about a, a bit of more about a few of these concepts has really helped. Categorize that and really helped make that a bit more specific because you you could argue that if a patient's sitting in front of you and you're only working with them then you know you're being patient-centered but if you have to ask questions or have to figure out their capacity and have to figure out their goals and that kind of thing it, it gives you a give or well, it gave me a little bit more structure in in how to understand how to be more patient-centered in in that way in podiatry
0: well i'm gonna, I'm gonna have to correct you there we've already had a Terminology change. It's now person centred. Unfortunately,
2: oh, okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> I got corrected on that the other day.
0: <laughs> but I think, but I think that's exactly it. like if we if we were to advance that idea a little bit further and say, you know, we're now focusing not on them as a patient. That's that's the reason why we made that change. It's it sort of uh, it didn't really change how I thought of it, but it, it changes that idea that if you're looking at someone as a patient versus someone as a person, there's that difference. Okay, this person has this problem. They're a patient. They've got an issue. They're injured. Versus this. This is a person with an injury, but it's still a person that we have to see. And uh, I know, um, Angus, you know, you've mentioned before, you know, there's so much more to a person when they're performing um, that, that, you know, it's going to be about their sleep. It's going to be about their diet, but it's also going to be about where they're at, you know, sort of emotionally what's going on. Um, most people that we, that we deal with, are, you know, are going to have other things going on in their life other than, than just their activity that's going to then bleed into that activity but even then arguably you know you deal with performance level athletes they're going to have a lot of other stresses that uh, other people don't as well which which could impact performance
1: i think um i think strength and conditioning as a whole is only going to benefit not, not only us but the the person as you described um just a whole lot more because not only do they get a whole lot more out of the consult because they feel like not only have they been looked after physically, but all the other things that actually add up to their capacity. You know, we talk about capacity and capacity isn't just um, the amount of reps that you're doing or the amount of load that you're doing, but it's the the psychological aspects of, you know, fear avoidance and and certain mental barriers and kind of how you perceive pain. You know, the social factors of, you know, your mum's telling you that, oh my God, you're broken and all this kind of stuff. So um, we can actually manage that capacity just by having this kind of clear cut plan of um, learning them and understanding them. Um, and then for us as a podiatrist, it actually gives us a whole lot more job satisfaction because all of a sudden our job just doesn't become uh, every single patient with heel pain who comes through the door. We just give them three lots of 10 calf raises and we send them on their way. It's, no, we actually take some time to you know take a history and, and learn where their capacity is at and how much they can tolerate. And we kind of tailor a plan towards them. So it gives us a whole lot more job satisfaction because we're um, really individualizing our treatment and making things interesting for us. Then the patient actually gets a whole lot more out of it Outside of just the, the biological and, and the, um, I guess the biomechanical side, but also the psychosocial side, with everything else going in their life.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent agreed. So I guess um, I'll, I'll throw this throw this uh, one to to you, Pat. How how did your uh, clinical practice change, or how did you have to shift what you were doing um, in clinical practice to to incorporate and SNC, so we're thinking more about like the nitty gritty in terms of day to day. Like, what, what, what really changed for you?
3: Um, well, we go back to when I first graduated, um, traditional podiatry job where uh, the only thing I kind of knew was um, orthotics, um, maybe some shoes, and then that was it. That's where they could, uh, it stopped. I guess working as an SNC while I was uni, and then trying to integrate it as I became a podiatrist. Uh, the day-to-day things changed because I started seeing the patients more. And the reason uh, to do that is, you know, when you put a, a plan in place, you, you kind of have to guide them step-by-step, uh, step. but also the onus is on the patient. So um, I guess if we talk individualization, uh testing capacity, right, and then supplying some sort of intervention based on their capacity to reach a certain benchmark and then retesting the capacity later... Uh, it's a, it's something that's not normally done in the dietary, I guess. I guess from a biomechanical standpoint, you know, from the old school ways, it's just for your shoes and athletics and that's it, see you in 12 months sort of thing. And, you know, pain feels better, great, cool. That's confirmation bias that your athletics are working. But what the patient really is asking is, I want to be able to walk again. I want to be able to go on a hike. I want to do the Camino next year. You know, small goals like that, like how do we evolve our role to kind of accommodate that. And using S&C through uh, things like benchmark testing, um, having some sort of capacity level interventions, modifying the interventions. But then you kind of have to also consider the complexity of the patient because the patient is also a person and people have issues in their lives kind of like we do. So there's always gonna be variable factors for them to either not meet their capacity um, affect their compliance levels when they're doing their program. So, as an SNC, you're also in a role where you're coaching them and guiding them to make sure that they're understanding their program, and you know it comes with peaks and troughs.
0: So it's, it's it's you've shifted your your practice from being a a clinician who's on the top of person and just telling them this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to do it, and you're going to get better. Um, you're switching to that coaching mindset of now how do I get this person to come in to to the clinical uh, to the practice to how to actually then build them up uh, come alongside them Um, but you're also then also shifting your practice in the sense that you you're focusing on the exercise prescription and outcomes that are traditionally not pain-based would that would that be a, a fair statement
3: 100 um, percent so it definitely would involve exercise prescription and load management a lot more in my practice uh, ever since you know taking up SNC and things like that but we we also can't dismiss the fact that we are experts in footwear prescription and understanding you know footwear and what's commercially available and all that and that side of things and also we need to be good at doing orthotics because there is still a vital need for a lot of cases to have orthotics as part of their treatment so, it, all together, it, it comes as one big package of um, what people may need or may, may not need. Like we have to understand that exercise prescription SNC and is, is vital in terms of concepts, but we're still experts at biomech, orthotics and shoes. And that's where if we can all integrate, intertwine, pick and choose what you need, what you want to do, I think that, that pretty much gives the, the dietitians the full package.
0: So it's an expansion, really, not not a not a shift, which I guess would be a, a common misconception you'd find.
3: Hundred percent. So a lot of um, podiatrists that I have spoken to in the past, uh, you know, when we explain a lot of our concepts and what we do, they think it's it's a replacement of their current job. So you know, the profession's innovated to the point where this is now replacing biomechanics. It's definitely not the case. It's you still do your biomech musk your complex systems, your pain signs, all that sort of stuff. You still do your orthotics and footwear if needed. And then exercise prescription and load management under, underpins all of the bottom, right? Because what, what are shoes and orthotics? They're load modifiers, right? So using the concept of exercise prescription and load modification, you can actually integrate it and insert it in different ways and just merge it together.
0: Hmm. So, yeah, it's... it's, it's... I guess in a way you can almost say you know having that S and C background gives you ability to understand load a lot more across the board. Hundred percent, and right. then it melds with your original podiatry context of well you've got these load specific load modifiers, but if we're missing that, lot, how to understand everything to load modify it really well, but also increase part of modification is also increasing it. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's where we're at. Hundred percent. Would, would anyone? Nice would anyone change is that is that kind of what we all understand or how we all would practice
1: yeah uh, i think for me it's two main things which is pretty much what you guys touched upon which is just the understanding of load management and capacity which is very in line with what i'm doing from a coaching side of things but very important with what we what we've seen podiatry and whether you want to accept it or not as a podiatrist is the ability to deal with load is is pretty much what we're doing. You know, people have to walk every single day and it's, it can't really get off our feet. So understanding how to alter load and how to potentially build some capacity is one huge aspect of it. Um, and then, yeah, the other side for me is just understanding the, I guess, the psychological and the social side and kind of understanding the emotional side as well. I think um, being within the SNC world has really allowed me to, I guess, delve into that side and understand that uh, as much as this person might be walking in a particular way, loading up this particular area, I'm sure given their stressful life, there's probably some other factors that influence that as well. So yeah, understanding the emotion, the emotional side, understanding some of the narratives that have been involved in this person and their decision making, I think that's probably the two B aspects for me.
0: If I'm if I'm thinking the the one the one thing we sort of haven't touched upon that I that I always think about, and it was uh, actually a blog not by an SNC coach, but by the the physiotherapist and chiropractories got both degrees uh greg lehman um who's also incidentally a biomechanist as well he just sort of went looking for all the answers and he came out and he wrote this blog that literally said adaptation is the one uh, the one thing that we miss like in, in my university degree no one really talked about adapting it was always we had to reduce load we always had to modify we had to get rid of we had to stop things and i guess the when i'm thinking about Individualization. I'm thinking about load modification. I'm also thinking about there's a whole bunch of people that we can just start increasing their exercise, and they get better. And We've got studies in on the heel pain and Achilles tendinopathy. The um, Alfredson protocol is literally you have a problem, and no matter how that problem started, we're
3: just going to totally load up
0: more. <laughs> is is that kind yeah. of? I guess you know I, that that's what I remember from university. Uh, both Pat and I have been a little while out. Is that? Is that kind of what's happening at university now? Is, is you know, well, obviously of, of the two people here have recently been.
1: I think, Taylor, correct me if you perceive this a little bit differently. I think we're taught a lot of these concepts as kind of what they are. So, and what I mean by that is kind of what we see in the research is what this. So, for example, the Africans protocol is um, proven to help Achilles tendinopathies, and that's kind of okay. We've gone through the research, we've seen it, that that it works, and um, and yeah, so that's kind of what you do. Um, I think if we, I think the ability to actually take that and understand that a little bit deeper is what might be a little bit lost. And I think the, the intricacies of as to why that works, um, you know, to me, I, it comes back to that that um that kind of load understanding. I think it's it's a really simple protocol of just like or well, a simple idea of just. Managing load like our Francis protocol is a great way to load up the Achilles in in a way that's for most people you know safe and comfortable and and it, it's quite easy to progress. So, um, so yeah, I think I think the concepts at uni are taught kind of very uh, to the book and to the paper, and it's shown in research and that's why it works. But um, I don't think it helps us critically think as much as it should. Um, and I think a lot of my the principles that i've that i've learned working in the SNC world have kind of helped me understand a lot of the concepts that have been proven to work in podiatry if that makes
0: sense
2: yeah i would totally so you're operating
0: really the rehab. sorry no no go go taylor
2: yeah no I, I would just totally agree well... that sorry um that kind of they are yeah taught us concepts and, and taught quite specifically um and it wasn't until I started kind of yeah looking more into an SNC approach that I realized that you know I could ask questions about when I might be able to load things up despite kind of um always I I, I kind of guess I, I I finished uni with a fear of movement when it came to injuries and people were injured they shouldn't be using it or loading it up because the tissue is damaged um, and I think um, it wasn't until like you start looking at a bit more around like the injury and the narrative and and what the narrative means to it um, that you realize how little um in in most cases that I've seen kind of coming in that tissue injury is actually the case um, where it's so I yeah I think it's it's I definitely came out of uni kind of fearing um, giving exercises to the wrong person um, and loading them up if, if they weren't ready and not having a lot of confidence in my ability to judge that. Um, but, but in, in kind of moving into a more S approach, I, I, I definitely have a lot more like confidence in doing that safely and, um, and, and kind of, yeah, getting that process through.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I uh, see exactly the same thing in, in the people that, that I mentor uh, that haven't come across exercise prescription. There's a real fear and it's kind of funny as I've got to sort of check myself because I'm kind of very like gung ho and, and I'm, I'm, you know, showing people barbells and they're like, Whoa, like <laughs> step away from the weight. Like what is going on? Um, but yeah, like you're explaining like, yeah, and this is a big sort of reason why we had our partnership with cause health. Uh, while we started producing you know a lot of those resources because really the the message is, is the same is that you know we've got this research that is essentially an experiment where someone goes and does something and we monitor the outcome and we theorize why that outcome came about but you know we're, we're taking very large populations we're averaging it out we have to provide a, a stimulus that's very homogenous, very sane for everyone. And we're forgetting that we'll actually, you know, we we can actually individualize that. Um it's it's potentially why, you know, we have these these, you know, research programs or research um that comes out that says, hey, you know, it works for some people and not for others. And it's like, well, it's probably right because the NAN that's doing three by ten calf raises that can't actually do them. And then the 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 huge bodybuilder that's coming in that's going, um, oh, um, you know, does them with ease probably not getting the benefit whereas you know if we can understand exactly what Angus was saying you know understand the, the principles we can sort of have our own hypothesis read the research take that hypothesis out and go well this is what it sounds like it's going towards and I, and I guess if everyone would agree you know a lot of s C is about giving someone a stimulus and then seeing their response you know it's it's giving them a, a that's why we do the baseline measurements we take a baseline measurement what can you do and then we we give them a whole bunch of stuff to do and we come back and four to six weeks later, you know, we're not, we're not getting a change or we're not getting where we expect to we adjust. And I think that you know, that would also be another big shift in terms of what we are taught. Cause that's suddenly it's, it's different to right and wrong. You did the wrong thing. They didn't get better. It's like, Oh no, that happens.
1: I don't know if you are, you guys are a little bit different, um, but especially when I'm assessing someone who may or might not be in pain, um i don't know really just push them i just push them until we find that that tolerance level um if if they say yep that feels a bit easy, right we'll make it a bit harder we'll go single leg we'll go on a deficit whatever we need to do i'll just just make it harder and harder until they get to the point of being like oh yeah that feels like a bit of a challenge um yeah i, I might even use a bit of a subjective approach and say look let's you're in a bit of pain at the moment if you can exercise and train kind of in a one between a one and a three out of ten pain um then that's probably enough to." indicate a bit of a bit of an adaptive process going on um but yeah the last thing i want to do is just yeah give them something that's going to be completely unloading them and if anything sending them sending them backwards because there's that you know that degeneration of tissue that kind of um that opposite effect that we want where there's not enough stimulus for growth and, and actual change in what's happening so um yeah generally in a lot of my assessments and a lot of my um, prescriptions i'll push them a little bit and find where the limit is and just say all right Let's just train there, or let's just train just below it, and actually get the best bang for our buck. Make use of your time.
0: Mm. I, I would, I would 100% agree. I mean, what what my approach really is. I mean, not dealing with a lot of people who are, are really always familiar with the gym. Um, I don't do baseline testing. That's one rep max. Um, you know, trying to get people to lift their one rep. You know, not even three rep. Often we know that we can um extrapolate out up to eight repetitions with a weight what their maximum lifting capacity would be so a lot of what i do is i just do exactly the same thing give them a weight that looks a bit like a challenge get them to go and see where they get to and if they're doing more than eight reps we just keep pushing until we get to a point which is vastly different to anything that we were taught i guess taylor you you talked a little bit about narratives and I think that's, that's an interesting point because let's say we, we, we do what Angus did and we, we take a patient who hasn't been to the gym uh, or doesn't go to the gym regularly, doesn't generally use weights um, and um, you're now going to push them to a point of a challenge, potentially push them into pain. How, do, how, how, how are we reconciling that? Like what, what, are, what are we doing with that? Because that would be quite scary for the patient.
2: Yeah, and I yeah, absolutely. And I think it's well, I'd never even heard of the concept of a narrative until I started talking to people who'd done SNC. Um, and I and then it gave me the ability to kind of look oh. back on my previous kind of pain experiences and um realized how how much control it really does have. Um and so you know when you're coming in saying oh like you've got this you know fracture it's really painful like you know you're talking about how you have to be in a boot because if you're not you know if you're walking on it then we're just you know we're grinding it up we're making it worse we're applying stress if you explain that um to someone that is injured um And we kind of get past the point where, you know, we've kind of deloaded where we have to and, you know, maintained all the muscle around as much as we can and, you know, kept them moving as much as we can. As soon as we actually ask them to stand up and start doing movements and start loading it up, all they're picturing is how it all came crashing down before. Or that's what I've experienced. Like, I had back pain where there were some um, fractures, and every time I lifted up anything heavy or got any type of pain in my back, I went on oh, no, and no, it's fracturing. Like it's that's that's what damaged it. Um, and so I think I, I learned in doing kind of the, in working with people who were in SNC. Um, that creating a motivational narrative a narrative of you know that return to performance that you know like yes we're here but it doesn't mean we're never going to be better than we were before this happened it's it's um yeah creating a really good um a really good headspace and um and drive and motivation to, to understand and educate the patient in an accurate way because tissues in most cases at least um correct me if I'm wrong but they do heal um and uh like working back towards getting them feeling strong and confident is arguably one of the hardest bits um returning from from an injury in my experience at least <laughs>
0: Mm. And it's it's, it's really, it's just highlighting, it's just education, education, education. If a patient doesn't know what they're doing or why, or if we're letting, we're not educating them and letting them fill in the gaps, you know, every time I bend over, it's sore, it's, it's, it would be silly to, to not expect that person to then just associate bending with, well, I probably shouldn't do that because it's sore and sore is unpleasant. So why, why would I keep doing that? So there's a, there's a level of, we're trying to then overload someone. We're trying to get them to do more than their current tissue capacity really is. You know, they're, they're they need to know what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing, and that, that, that that'd be safe.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I think, Pat, you know you've obviously dealt with a lot of um, injured athletes um, as both a podiatrist and, and as a and as a coach, you know, on on a team. What what has your experiences been in terms of um, athletes uh, as an example of of people that need education and understanding and how that relates to their their overall
3: being? Uh great question. Um, I guess in our experiences, um, stakeholders is probably one of the biggest obstacles I've had to um navigate. And what that means is <clears throat> an athlete in the team, they have a doctor, they have a physio, they have an SNC coach, they have the team coach, and they also have, you know, sports trainers and then their friends who are on the team with so many voices in their head, the the risk of catastrophization is quite high, especially, you know, you send them for a scan, it comes back and it says, you know, this is torn, this is damaged, all this sort of thing. And then, you know, if if not all practitioners aren't on the same page, that's where it quickly goes in a downward spiral. And I've seen a lot of careers ended through catastrophization and just, you know, no structured uh, process and no one owning the actual rehab space and actually really guiding that athlete through. So I think from a narrative perspective, if, if we as podiatrists can fully, say, comprehend and understand the injury, uh, if there are additional variable factors such as, you know, scans and things like that, if we fully understand context and we can deliver it in a, in a language that resonates with the athlete and motivates them. And then they fully kind of can understand that and you'll get a positive outcome. But if from the very start, it, it's not explained thoroughly and the, the definitions and it, it's not guided, you can quickly find that your, your, your program goes down. You'll see your compliance go down and then you won't see great uh, results. So, I think having a positive mindset, and and in, in a way knowing your shit um, will, will definitely help. Hmm.
0: So it's, it's there, there's a, some interesting studies, not really in the lower limb, but more in the in, in the back, um, specifically low back pain. But uh, like I, I've seen it in terms of the principles that underlie it, you know, uh, throughout the whole body, and, and we, we see it definitely in the lower limb. Is that prognostic outlook can almost be. Or well, is all in lower back, and I think in a lot of other conditions, a better indicator of whether someone will get better than their scan, because it's exactly sort mm-hmm. of what you're saying that if someone doesn't believe they're going to get better, if they have a very negative outlook on on their capacity and their ability to do things, they're going to. That's going to influence their behaviour and what they actually do. Is, is that that's sort of what what you're indicating?
3: 100%. And um, obviously, scans will be different for different parts of the body, but the overall concept is something that um, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, <clears throat> I guess where we see most things is you know, when, when athletes and patients get scans for your plantar fascia and your Achilles, when you see like either oh, micro tears, partial tears, intrasubstance tears, and then there, there's so many variable factors that go into those scans, to, um, like did you go to the right radiologist does the did the radiologist use the right machine did the request for the scan actually ask specifically what you were actually looking for because sometimes if you a lot of the times when you send people off for a scan um you just like foot pain 2 months and you know just go nuts <laughs> and and they start reporting and so like a, b- a bunch of shit that's not relevant and and then obviously it takes a bit of experience to kind of justify to the patient, you know, a lot of these things aren't relevant. What we're actually looking for is this. So that's where I can see catastrophization just skyrocketing when, when, when you ask for something and it comes back with this, this and this. A lot of times it could be relevant. So I think at the end of the day, um, if, if, if you want to progress without scans, then um, it, it, it's a bit harder because you don't have as much of an objective view. So you rely on things like your clinical testing technology, um, such as force plates or dynamometers, things like that, to kind of gauge capacity and also pain, you know, your pain scales. Um, but, you know, the, the, the research isn't there to even justify if scans scans say what they say anyway. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, it's like th- this is the the issue with, uh, I guess, a lot of university training is, you know, they put medicine on a gold pedestal, but in reality, there's so m- so many small nuances that, haven't been covered so to put it all together like it's it's so confusing for um people professionals in general
0: well i guess that's that's the you know not related to s and c like i keep sort of pushing out the message you know what causes pain is not always the thing that maintains it which is not always the thing that resolves it and we know you know that age and uh weight may you know influence achilles tendinopathy and, and plantar fasciopathy but it's all we also know for, for the plantar fascia it's resolution of um you know resolving their obesity status or you know actually doing the impossible and reversing their aging is not required to for them to get a good outcome so there, mm-hmm. there is that that confusing sort of element where we're always sort of taught find the thing fix the thing you know so that also relates to the patient as well and their narrative, their their understanding. If they're coming in expecting a scan, um, expecting to exactly what happens, like we've got to sort of talk them off that 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 ledge, get them a better understanding of what exactly is going on, what their capabilities are, what their what what the strengths that they still have. It's it's changing that that view.
3: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: So I'm I'm thinking in terms of how does actually, so in terms of a, a consult, so to sort of help sort of round out the discussion, we've, we've talked about um, all the benefits of SNC and the principles and these ideas and the shift that we're, we're taking, uh, or, you know, in the way that we think about uh, a, a patient, but, you know, do we, I'm, I'm interested in your guys' thoughts in terms of what exactly is the process that we would take, uh, with a patient, sort of from start to finish. Now that we've got this extra SNC mindset and SNC skill set, so you know, what what would we do with a patient?
1: Um, I think this is my question. I'm happy to be corrected. Um, generally, I spend just a really long time just talking to them. Um, it's not uncommon for an initial. I'll spend thirty minutes talking and just kind of obviously start with all building stuff. Just you know, how's your day and just trying to create that like that nice friendly environment, but really try and not only get a, a good history of the injury and, and whatever, whatever acronym you want to use for that, you know, try and get a good history of the injury, but also how that's actually affected them um, and asking them certain things as to, you know, how has it made you feel? Have you, you know, done certain things in the past? You know, is there any expectations that you're looking to get out of this treatment? Like, um, yeah, I think look, I guess for me, at least looking beyond what is um I guess the physical assessment, but also like an emotional assessment, I think that'll take up a fair bit of time. Um, so yeah, that's probably how I would start the consult is try and build as much for rapport as possible and also give them the opportunity to actually vent, um, and kind of, um, I guess, validate all of their feelings. Yeah.
0: So if you're going to, if we're eventually going to have to push someone into pain or potentially push them in the gym, you're just getting a really good understanding. For the first things first is getting a really good understanding of them, understanding their situation, understanding, Understanding their history, uh, understanding them as a person so then you know where to push. Yep. So right. in terms of then, so we've, we've got the history, we've done all of that. What, what are we doing then with, with the patient in terms of uh, understanding their, their injury and their, their capacity, Pat.
3: Um, <clears throat> I guess it depends on the patient, but as a general uh, process from, from my perspective, We allow that initial consultation to kind of have uh, get that get that history, build that rapport, get get your testing, uh, your 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 standard musculoskeletal biomechanical, your pain palpation, all that, and then and then from from there, the patient will probably want to start to see some sort of uh, implementation. So, obviously, just getting to know the patient in the first consult, it's pretty hard to do a plan from the first consultation, like a full full full-blown plan. So, what I would normally do is address peripheral things such as if if, they, if the footwear needs addressing, if the, um, if the load management starts needs to be addressed now, uh, any referrals for any additional testing and scans and things like that if, if needed. If they need orthotics, just just do it in the first consult as in like get the ball rolling with the cast and all that sort of stuff because then that, that, that sets you the, the foundations to, um, for the patients to start act, acting on, on the discussions we've had. And then the secondary consultation would would then be uh, mapping out uh, from that load chat you had uh, implementing uh, the the exercise prescription if indicated. So if it is indicated, it takes literally half an hour to one show, go through the exercises, show the exercises, phase it. We use an app, um, like set the sets and reps, and then they, they perform it, you know, any feedback and whatnot. So I think using snc realistically in a podiatric context it does require several consultations so you do have to kind of see the patient quite a lot to a degree uh until uh until they're they're good to start uh doing their own thing and then and then you're, you're just there as a guide while they return to performance so i think from a structured rehab perspective that's probably um how i'd go um is that kind of what you were thinking alex
0: yeah. Yeah. No, no, that, that's, that's yeah. exactly it. That we're sort of the, I think there's a, there's a idea out there that if we're, we're doing S and C it's like, how do we fit this in? We've got all this other stuff, but it's, yeah. again, it's that expansion. It's we're doing the the podiatry stuff. We're doing the footwear. We're doing the biomech. We're doing the stuff. We're getting to know the person where all of those things that we're that we should be doing, we're still doing, but then we're mm. saying, well, hold on a second. You know, let's get you um, back sooner let's check up let's keep more of an eye on you let's coach you through us but we've got these other things that we can set up for you at the start so it's almost sort of like rather than waiting for us to get through this whole process of orthotics wait to see if they work all these other things you can kind of go actually let's get you back in pretty quick and let's start going through this stuff that we can sort of set up and you've almost, you know would you agree with sort of always doing two tracks for a period of time a podiatry track and sort of an exercise rehab track they're both complementary and they're both sort of working together but then the idea is they're setting them both up and then one's going to drop off more than the other generally the podiatry stuff and then we're going to follow through on that return to performance
3: yeah i definitely agree with that and with the plethora of technology that's available now um capacity measurements can be quite quick so things like force plates and dynamometers you can quickly just assess uh, a measurable number right obviously there's a bit of research around you know test conditions replicability and all those sorts of things but it's at least something and it gives a patient, I guess, a bit of hope and a bit of, um, it brings them back to ground. So if they think they've slacked off, well, a lot of the times when they're lifting the gym or pulling or jumping, you can actually see their performance is not that good. So having solid test data can actually keep them on track. Mm-hmm. So from an exercise prescription perspective, if we're using, utilising technology in a way to kind of motivate patients um it also does save time because a quick pull or a quick jump you can get that data straight away and then and then um obviously it does take time to kind of interpret that data and you know change your plan but once you have all your eggs in the basket it, it's pre- will be a pretty seamless process hmm.
0: cool yeah i think that's if we're thinking about answering the real the question at the start of the 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 the, the uh talk which is integrating or how how we integrate snc into podiatry really what what we're looking at is a shift in mindset but also then a shift in terms of our our bookings and the way that we're approaching things because i think there's a there's definitely a a push to be like we need to get the diagnosis in in the first consult we need to have uh, a full plan we need to to um try and essentially encapsulate everything in that first consult and then hit them with here's the plan and then all our consults are following that plan and and when really what we're doing is we're starting first steps. Where can we go? What can we start doing? Okay, great. And then we've got this track over here where we're going to start to keep you moving and keep you exercising and keeping the build. And we're going to sort of jump between the the podiatry and the and their goals, you know, the specific tissue stuff that we need to be very, very aware of and doing our job on, but also building them up as a person and generally they they sort of feed off each other if we're not letting them decondition it's easier to get them pain free and back to their goal if but if we're handling podiatry stuff it's then easier because they'll start feeling better and doing better and and building up Uh, would would anyone um uh disagree or agree and have something to add
1: yeah i agree and i really like what um what pat what pat I said in regards to kind of setting the expectation and knowing that you can't necessarily you know, fit everything into one session and just saying like look there's a couple of you know on top of taking the history there's a couple of really small things that we can adjust today but I think starting for next time or well, you know we'll come in soon and we'll go through discuss an entire treatment plan really manage I guess like the exercise protocol side of things to run side by side with the I guess the podiatric implements um that we're going to put in as well so um, yeah, I think a lot of the integration between S and and podiatry just comes down to communication and setting those expectations with the um, with the with the client, with the patient, um, and just making sure that there's no confusion that everyone's on track. And I think that's where a lot of that positive integration comes from.
0: So, if I'm thinking how we can sort of wrap up this chat with a bit of a sell, if we if we talking about integrating s and c you know a big part of it's going to be well we, we obviously think this is this is beneficial um how would we if someone's on the fence and we're sort of going okay should you learn more about this or or, or not you know what are, what have what has been the benefits to clinical practice and i think what i would include in here as well the the, the big one financial benefits um to to ha- integrating s and c into into your clinic practice taylor do you want to start us off
2: yeah um, yeah so i mean the benefits of of having an snc has benefited me maybe in a different way or i've noticed it maybe in a different way than you guys um but kind of coming out into podiatry um felt a little bit isolating um as a new grad um so kind of being in this like little niche and not having a big network and not having a big multidisciplinary network um getting into snc and having a few comfort conversations in a multidisciplinary team has really um has made work more satisfying and a lot less kind of isolating um i've got you know a bigger support network of people with different interests and you know specific kind of goals and it has helped me practice as a new grad because it's exposed me to a lot more a lot sooner than i perhaps otherwise would have kind of experienced it or had to figure it out myself um And, um, I think it's, it's given me more confidence working with the person working with people rather than working with an injury or how do I solve, you know, this tissue stress or that kind of thing. It's yeah, really allowed that kind of, or yeah, really enhanced that individualization, um, all of kind of the specific things, um, that kind of take time to learn, um, and just take experience but it's just a new perspective to help me with that
0: no I think that's that's brilliant that's i, I thankfully i't i i did not feel as, as isolated but i think that that sort of highlights yeah that, that we can get more, more involved in that person's life in their team in in, in everything um Angus.
1: um yeah I think one of the big things is just that there's more t- more tools In your belt, I think as Alex and Pat, you guys have touched upon, it's not necessarily oh, okay, we're we're a strength and conditioning podiatrist. You know, we do things a little bit. No, it's just it's just expansion. It's just a few more tools that we have in our belt. I think um, with those tools, I think we can um, target particular people and a particular audience just a little bit better. And I think we can, I guess, relate to them more and have them kind of come in and felt validated by us and a lot of our experiences. So. I think just by that element alone, I think that extra little bit of training and just um, expanding our mind a little bit and thinking a little bit differently can just give us a few little options for us to be able to help um, treat patients. And then I think from, I guess, a sales point of view, I, I, one of the biggest things is just, I guess, the trust and the reliability, the reliability from patients. You know, When they feel heard and when they feel that you've got a really structured individualised plan, a lot of them are more than happy to come back and a lot of, a lot of them are more than happy to um, go forward with your with your exercise plan and, you know, come back every week and make sure that they're on track and progress and make those harder. So I think the biggest thing is that you will um, find that patients will be a lot more trustworthy um, and have a much larger connection to you just purely because um, you've made a plan that's really individualized them and you have really heard them. So yeah, that'd be my selling point.
0: Mm. Well, I, I think that that's... In the clinic that I'm in, that's that's exactly the message that I've been pushing. But, like, if, you know, you, if in a world where sort of we're trying to get, grab people's attention and we're trying to say, come to us and, and do this, you know, a big part of it is being able to say to people, well, we're going to listen to you and we're going to individualize every part of your treatment. I mean, who doesn't want that? Who who wants to go to the fast food of, of um, uh, you know, rehab or, or or podiatry or anything and, and not that there's any anything particularly wrong for for lots of lots of injuries and lots of lots of issues but you know the, there's a lot of people who will um prioritize that a, a lot more um you know definitely i see anecdotally lots of patients come in and sort of just went ah oh, i just wasn't wasn't really feeling it. i wasn't really getting that they knew what they were doing or how they were doing it or i didn't really feel like they understood me or my problem Pat, do you want to finish this up? What, what, have, what have you
3: noticed? I think the biggest. Oh, um, well, before I add that, um, the fast fast food of rehab and injuries, such as F forty five, actually does keep us in business, so they should continue. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> um, but for me, the biggest uh, thing that I've influential thing that I've had over my entire career was SNC and rehab has given better patient outcomes. And better patient satisfaction which is ultimately what you're aiming for at the end of the day um professionally it also enhances you because you know the more satisfaction the more the better outcomes the better the more people that you've returned to performance is is also a good validation tool for yourself that you know it, it's it's working um because a lot of these things it's not in the evidence it's not in the literature a lot of this is you have to Go out yourself and figure things out. Um, find the right mentors, find the right people to have a chat to, and and then you soon will see that outcomes will just will just come. Hmm. And then and then the finances things is is actually a bonus to be completely honest. Because if you do things well and you're passionate about what you do, everything else will just come and will just fly in and will just be autonomous.
0: No, that's that's brilliant. So I guess if if people wanted to to learn more about yeah. SNC um a final thing before we we open up to questions um how, how do people get more training in snc well, where, where do they go what do they do you, you spoke about mentors pat
3: um well alex murray is actually quite a good mentor so he mentors a lot of people around the country but um asca asca is a good uh place uh for snc we we offer asca accredited SNC course for podiatrists that we do face-to-face a few times a year, usually Queensland, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, uh, hopefully Perth one day. But we'll, we'll try and get around the country and actually implement that at uh, any course of its kind. But um, obviously, if, if you want to get the ball rolling, like at uni I just volunteered for a team, became a sports trainer. There was an empty role as a rehab SNC coach. I had no calls, so they just gave me the job. This is pre-Steven Dank saga. They just let anyone in. And um, I, I got my ASCO accreditation at the same time, which is great. So that was my kind of entry. So just having exposure in sport outside of a clinic room can really just enhance your clinical practice, just having conversations with like uh, health professionals that you don't normally interact with in the workplace and just, yeah, things like that, just volunteering and just putting your name out there and just giving it a crack. Um, the best time to kind of practice your exercise prescription is usually in a team or a sport because... You have free reign of the athlete, and you know you, you just work together with them. You learn things that you, you might not necessarily have the time in the clinic. When you when you're in a team, you know you you have hours, and you know you you spend your time practicing and coaching, and and that's where you get your skill set. So that's that's what I would advocate for.
0: Mm. And when you're talking about ASCA, that's the Australian Strength and Conditioning uh, <laughs> Australian Con- Strength and Conditioning Association, which that's right. has courses, and and you you run a, a right course that that gives the level zero accreditation which is the introduction and then obviously if people are serious about learning they've got what what you did which was your level one and your level two which is yeah. becoming a, a, a coach where you can then and that, that's also upper limb as well as lower limb
3: yeah so in in my uh years when i got level two i've rehabbed probably four shoulder reconstructions three acls um a groin pelvis um re- reconstruction surgery I've done countless hamstrings, countless uh, Achilles tendons. So you really do get exposure to a lot of those kind of injuries that you don't normally see. And just uh, seeing all those injuries, it's pretty cool to see them when they go back on the field and you know do a bit of contact, things like that. So,
0: yeah. So there's, there's generally sort of those two levels. That's where you've got the level zero, which gives you the principles for podiatry, and then you know your level one and above is where you sort of like actually want to be a coach and and yeah. and do do things that are potentially a bit beyond podiatry. Um, to sort of get that exposure definitely Definitely. it would would you um angus and taylor would you add anything to that in terms of how how you've gone about getting your experience and training
1: i think i've gone about mine quite similarly so I, i did my asa level one a couple of years ago um i think i've been quite fortunate over the years to surround myself whether it's through Um, gym friends gym colleagues um, people that I've worked with I've always kind of been in and around gyms Um, I've always been around like one people that have kind of I've developed a bit of a passion and a bit of an interest in so I think um, a lot of my learning has been through um, people that I've looked up to people who've taken me under their wing a little bit Um, and then kind of like Pat said just learning on the job I think just um, the ability to actually throw yourself in there and expose yourself and um, challenge yourself and challenge your ideas um, it's the best way to learn that I've been quite fortunate over the years to kind of have learned the theoretical groundwork um, and then be able to apply it in practice a fair bit. So that's kind of been my background and I recommend everyone find a mentor, find a like-minded person and just throw yourself straight in. Learn as yeah, much as possible.
0: Brilliant. And, and how have you gone about, because you, you're, you're still, you're finishing your, your, your training Taylor. How have you, how have you sort of gone about it and, and what, would, what advice would you give to, to people?
2: Um, I think for me, if I was to kind of give advice that I wish someone had given me, it would just be just, just get involved if you have a specific interest and, um, in essence, so for me, mine was dancing. Um, I still had all my connections from when I was dancing still. Um, and I was seeing a few of the patients like in podiatry generally. Um, but because I've had those relationships and because of that, um, I mean, dancing as itself you know, in its own world, um, feels a little bit immune sometimes to, to S&C principles. Um, so that was a little bit tricky for, to, to kind of start to get, find a groove and how I could start working with people in dance. But I think, um, having very few professional, um, very little kind of professional, uh, mentor input was, was tricky for me. So definitely try and find, a, you know, at least one or two, whether it's, uh, you know, people that you work with, um, ask questions and, and critical, critically think and critically analyse the things that people say, um, but, but definitely going out to seek those mentorships, seek the people that, um, that and, and the work that you want to do. I think something that I kind of felt a little bit trapped into was waiting for it to find me um, and kind of, you know, knowing that I wanted to do it, but kind of being like, oh, you know, it's something that I'll figure out later when, like, it's just just start asking just start looking because people
0: are out there yeah i think i think the mentor one and i um, mean part of the the acsa sort of program is um having mentors like it's it's built in as part of the ethos is that you go and get, get a mentor um to do all parts of your training so you're level one you're level two you have to have a mentor sign it off you have to do hours if you want to do the professional coaching accreditation scheme, um, which again is again you need another formalised mentor. So this is where you get a scheme that's that's uh, essentially saying that you've had a mentor and a coach and someone has guided you through. So you have the experience to call yourself more of a professional coach. Um, these are all things that are built in as part of ASCA, as part of SNC, um, as as a as a profession. And it, I don't see why it wouldn't carry over to to podiatry at at all. And I think that's often something that, that that we miss. So that's a, that's a brilliant point. So we, we do have a question before we we, we sign off. Um, It's from Nikki. How can sports pods collaborate well with videos and or EPs without overlapping or or conflict? Um, Pat, do you want to give you two cents? (laughs) I, I predicted that smile too.
3: Um. I think, um, well, let's put in the context that, uh, like, like our practice. I guess Um, I have a lot of physios that refer to me for like Achilles tendon rehab, Liz Frank injuries, um, joint plate replacement, um, you know, bunion surgery, all that, and and to manage the rehab things like that. So, I think at the end of the day, um, it depends on your situation or where you work. If if you are, I guess, the only podiatrist in the area that does SNC and rehab, I would say just do it because word's going to get out there that you're going to be quite decent at it and then you'll, you'll find that there will be physios and EPs and chiros that will refer you for those particular cases. And and the reason I say that is in, in, in every profession you have... Um, you know, you, you, your podiatrist who he just likes to do your sports podiatry, which is shoes and athletics, that's it. And then, you know, a musculoskeletal physio will take over the rest. You'll you'll have physios who just focuses on manual therapy and a little bit of um, movement and stretches. So, in every profession, not everyone does own, owns rehab well. So, if you're going to own the rehab space, and you and you have the skills to do it, and you're qualified and you're confident, just take them through that journey and. And eventually that patient will, you know, you will get that word of mouth and then you, you, people will just refer in and people will book in and, and you'll just get busy doing things like that. So I think from from, from that perspective, um, I wouldn't be overly too concerned if you go and step on other people's toes to a degree, if you are in a better position to manage that case, if that makes sense. So I wouldn't say go out and poach the patients and, you know, take over the cases and things like that, but, if you're in a position where you can actually perform the service well and potentially better, I'd say take some ownership on that and, and 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 progress that.
0: Yeah, so there's not always a conflict between people. Like if you've got a skill set and you say I'm better at this, I mean, if we think about physios and EPS; they're doing the whole body. Mm-hmm. And, and I've definitely know we, I've come across you know physios. You've come across physios that have just kind of mm-hmm. gone, "Shit, man, I know nothing about the four four universe." or nothing and it's like it's fair you've got so much other shit going on in the body that they're managing so you know we can own certain spaces but also like you know if you're thinking about you know the difference between a physio and an ep i mean they've got different mindsets and different approaches and i mean there's uh i know in my clinical practice you know i'll own certain parts of the rehab i'll own certain parts of things and then there'll be a level of oh you know this person's at a point where they're probably going to get more from an ep overall chronic health you know mm. ex. Size management and they're back at a point in the rehab where i can go well, we'll go and see your ep and i've got a few that mm-hmm. I, I like to send to and i go because they're just going to do everything else much better and, and they don't need a specific rehab focus
3: yeah because it's not like um someone does their ACL and books into see a podiatrist like the day after like that's <laughs> i don't think that, that that ever exists and ever will exist but i think if someone does their achilles and they go and see the physio and the physio knows there's someone down the road who can actually focus on isolated things such as the intrinsics your ankle range and and then some capacity and then you can work with the physio and the ep to kind of design a return to running program because after they return back to running our job is probably to maintain some sort of lower limb capacity but the ep's job might be able to condition them and actually get them to run further and improve their VO 2 max and things like that so I think that it does come a point where it does become out of the scope for the podiatrist. But f- from our perspective, if, if our job is the lower leg or the lower limb, we really should be good at it and just just take it from start to finish. And then if there's someone else who's better at us in that rehab timeline, slot them in because it's always the best practitioner for the job for me as opposed to um, us just doing everything. So I guess, I guess the the
0: question i put to both you angus and taylor is because i guess you you're both doing it uh, a lot earlier than than myself i can definitely say yeah. um you know it brings up the idea of niching you know and, and it's almost niching sort of quite quite early you know what, what would you guys agree especially being fairly new and and, and already sort of exploring things outside of podiatry yeah we'll,
2: definitely
0: start with you taylor yeah <laughs>
2: Um, yeah, I, I definitely um, definitely think that there is an element of niching. Um, in in saying that, I definitely did start kind of my SNC journey is more of the um, podiatry expansion pack. Um, but I but I have definitely fallen into a situation where kind of being being a part of the strengthening conditioning profession has kind of crept up on me. Um, but mostly that's just been interest, like being involved in the community and and um having having a reason to explore a bit further into strength and conditioning um out of podiatry has just found my interest that way. Um, but I think, yeah, like you 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 definitely get a, a better understanding and um I've found that you know, like I, I was probably going to be niched anyway. Um, I really, really strong interest in, in kind of working with dancers and doing that. So, um, and it's, strength and conditioning is crazy helpful in that field because there aren't a lot of kind of face-to-face work or there isn't a lot of face-to-face work with that. Um, so, yeah, I might find myself uh, tucked away in the future in a little corner <laughs> of um, S and and podiatry and dance, hopefully. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a really good, good perspective. And I just got a message as soon as you said that uh, the, the term podiatry expansion pack is now copyright of of podiatry (laughs) systems. Um, Apologies. Um, Would would you, I guess, for for Angus, would you, you know, agree with with sort of the idea that, that, that we can niche and we should niche and we don't always have to be everything to everyone. And you can, you can pick an interest and, and follow that through.
1: I think it was the reason I got into podiatry in the first place was, you know, talking to a podiatrist when I was in school and being told that, oh, you get, you guys get to be the experts of one particular body area. So I really like the idea of that. So the idea of niching and being really good, or I guess putting a lot of time and effort into one particular area, is something that's always appealed to me. And you know, I guess it speaks words for, I guess my role in the S and C world working mostly with strength, strength athletes and powerlifting athletes. That's my kind of my world. So, um, yeah, I love the idea of niching. I love the idea of kind of building up, um, a, I guess, a capacity for work in the area that you're most interested in and um, the area that you feel most comfortable in and branching out when needed. But at the same time, it's there's no reason you shouldn't be able to call and collaborate with other you know, physios or EPs. And you know, if someone's coming in and they're seeing... Um, the patient seeing another physio, I have no problem in just calling up the physio and just saying, "Oh, this is what my plan is. Does it align with yours? And you know, I'll do my thing, and you can do your thing, kind of thing. We'll work together." So, um, yeah, I, I think there's no problem with actually staying in your own little niche um, and building that up, but then also working with others um, conversely to kind of build, um, build this package together, as opposed to saying, "All right, you got you're pretty good. You can go see that EP now, um, and they can manage your exercise." I think yeah, work together. You do your thing, they do their thing.
0: Yeah. I think on that, no, that's a that's a brilliant conciliatory point to to end our end our discussion unless there's uh, any other questions out there or anything anyone would particularly want to add. I'm gonna take that silence as, as no and I'm going to Where are the, that where right are here. these
3: questions, by the way?
0: You <laughs> don't get to see them, mate. Like I'm I'm oh, I'm okay. the one
3: seeing them okay never mind. we must
0: have answered them all though because no, no no one's no one's chiming in but uh I, I bet anything that um as soon as we end someone will think of something so um but no th- thanks everyone for for joining us uh, i hope you got a lot out of out of the discussion uh if there are any questions that come up especially for people watching the recording please send us an email systems at gmail.com comment on the video if you're watching the recording on our website comment on on facebook we're um, always happy to, to take questions. And um, if there's something particularly big, you know, we can do another video, we can do another discussion where um, I'm sure these guys will be happy to, to come back or, or I'm, I'm putting them on the spot, putting words in their mouth. Yeah, thanks again for joining us. And uh, we'll, we'll see you guys all next time.